All right, welcome back to the Williston Basin Petroleum. We are the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Sean Forbes, Jason Spee, Sean Forbes, filling in for Sterling, who's back in Fargo. Well, he's got a wife and two kids, so he doesn't get to travel too much. He also has a regular day job because, you know, he's never worked a day in oil and gas in his life, but he grew up living on an oil base in Saudi Arabia for 10-plus years, so he has more respect than more of a respect for the industry than most people I've ever met in the industry, actually. So he's a great guy to have on here. Sean Forbes comes to us from OG Directory. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. So, okay. Commercial break was okay for you? Commercial break? Yeah. Yes. You were able to health get... Break, uh, health break. Well, I, went by, I just went by the snack table, and yesterday they had veggies and fruit. And so I thought, well, they're going to have the same thing today. But they didn't. They have this chocolate-covered popcorn and chocolate-covered strawberries and chocolate-covered pretzels and donuts and cookies. And I, I can't eat gluten or dairy, so I just tried not to cry as I walked by all these <laughs> delicious things. Yes, I was like, I want that, but I can't have it. So anyway. Eric Calderon is joining us as well as Aaron Davidson. They are with Power Century, Century with an S, and let's just talk a little bit about the company first, then we'll get into uh, kind of who you guys are, what you do a little bit, just kind of that, you know, 60-second version of uh, commercial of what you guys do. Yeah, well, thanks so much. We're glad to be here. Power Century is a company that started in 2017, so we still think of ourselves as a fairly young company. Uh, we are focused on delivering power management solutions for the oil field, and uh, we do that through two main products. Both products are focused on trying to control power at the well site, and our core product, the on-site storage system, actually has an ESG component reducing the amount of power being used at a well system. So uh, we have a, a statement which is true in that we can help you reduce the amount of uh, electricity in your field at your wellhead and um, help you achieve your ESG outcomes by lowering the amount of CO2 being used in your operation. Our first product was launched in 2017, and uh, we have installations throughout the Bakken and throughout Texas. Our latest product launched late last year is called um, ERT, which stands for Electric Ride-Through. And what this product does is it allows um, operators, wherever there may be unstable power, to have a power backup on site that will ride through any sort of uh, fluctuation in power or any sort of event that may cause uh, power to drop. And so if you have tools running downhole or just um, kind of a large pump on the other end that would be affected by power stability issues, our ERT will allow you to get through that. But your, your equipment is a main source of power or a secondary? The secondary source, it would okay. be uh, connected uh, between the end product and the grid coming in. And so uh, the utility coming in, and so we kind of sit between, but it's a it's a secondary source of power. Okay. So would you say that the main source of power, does it matter what the main source of power is? Um, if it's electrical or diesel fired? No, or? no, technically it doesn't. Uh, where we've had most of our installs of ERT have been where there is um, you know, electrical power coming from a utility, and uh, our product will really shine whenever there is a, a dip in that power from like a reclosure event, or some other uh, power sag that may occur. Weird power surge or weather, weather or exactly their, right. their source fails. Our product is not a power backup for a long period of time. The, okay. Really, the notoriety of what we do is it provides instantaneous power backup, so you have no loss. 
I like to make the comparison on the ERT where imagine in your home if you lose power and you have a generator, eventually your power will come back on, but it may be a minute or two before that generator fires up and everything's going. If you had a, an ERT, if you will, conceptually installed on your house, you would never know you lost power. It's continuous. So it would come right in and kind of sit between uh, the amount of time that it takes your generator to come on. It kind of uh, implants itself and allows you to have a ride through for that period of time. This is, a, this is important, right? Because this is a mitigating risk and it could be a, a safety issue, right? Yeah, we, we really think about the cost of having, um, let's say, an ESP uh, downhole have a power issue and then lock up and you have to pull that out and uh, do a full workover, it's quite expensive. And so, um, you know, this, this product can prevent those issues from coming up. And we know the reality is in a lot of different parts of the oil and gas industry, the grid infrastructure isn't great, right? Power isn't great. So there can be a lot of times where power isn't stable. And this is why we feel like uh, our product is catering to that specific need that exists. Um, so far, we've seen our product used, as I mentioned, on ESP applications, but also um, in saltwater disposal facilities where they have these large pumps moving water. And if that goes down, it creates a lot of issues upstream. Well, in a backlog, too. Those trucks don't want to be sitting there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, we really think of this as being an important product for the reasons that, that you touched on earlier to provide uh, more stability, to help provide, um, you know, risk mitigation and also, you know, generally just to ensure that operations can operate in a more predictable manner. What is your equipment? Describe it. Yeah, so um, both of our products, we have two main products, use ultra capacitors. That's really the uh, the internal guts of the system. And these ultra capacitors are basically um, what charges and keeps the electrical power stored in the system. And so uh, physically, these look like um, kind of cabinets that would be installed on a well site. They measure about six feet tall, four feet wide, two feet deep. And so uh, these, you know, kind of fit in just perfectly to all the other equipment you would see on a well site. And um, inside are just electronic components and these ultra capacitors. And mm -hmm. so these ultra capacitors are used in different ways for each product. <laughs> Going back to our on-site storage, what that does is that hooks into a rod pump system. So the standard pump jack that everyone kind of envisions when you think about oil and gas. Um, this product connects into your, your drive at your pump jack and whenever there's a downstroke of the pump jack, the energy that would normally be dissipated in that downstroke is actually saved in our ultra capacitors and temporarily stored. And on the next upstroke, that power is released and helps provide um, uh, that energy to be utilized in the upstroke ultimately reducing power being consumed because you're recycling energy that would normally just be wasted in that downstroke. Right. And so for operators, and it's a theme we've heard throughout the day today, that ESG matters, right? For operators focused on wanting to reduce their carbon footprint and also decrease the cost of operations, our OSS product can do that. We have, uh, as I mentioned, installs in the Bakken, we have installs in, uh, in the Permian, and on average we see once it's installed, power bills go down around 20% once it's installed. And that's a lifetime savings once that product's installed. Right. And so um, we're really excited to be offering that into the market. And I'm an operations engineer, my background. I've, I've worked um, you know, in, in the oil and gas industry as an engineer and had to run a P&L and make these kind of equipment decisions. And I like that we have a product that um, 
not only meets ESG goals, but will reduce your lease operating expense. And uh, and so it's um, for yeah, me. And you're using the, the inno- a current that. innovation for a process to generate additional energy, right? Like exactly so, I like right. what you said. It's kind of recyclable or renewable in a sense, right? That's exactly right. And so um, you know, we have a joke at the office where um, our team is. Uh, if you were to look at our parking lot, it kind of describes just perfectly what our company is. Our parking lot is a mix of F-250 pickup trucks and a couple of folks that drive Teslas. And we <laughs> think that that represents our company. We're an oil-filled company making, you know, uh, power equipment that's innovative in our space. Yeah. Well, this it sounds like your equipment could be used in other industries, too. Is, is your customer primarily oil and gas, or do you venture out to others? It's, it's a great point that you brought up. Um, we are mostly in the oil and gas industry today. Uh, we think that there's still a lot of really good opportunities there, but the technology itself can be applied outside of the energy industry. Um, probably the easiest example on the OSS would be, think of an elevator, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of the up and down movement is the same as a pump jack. And so that energy when the elevator is going down can be stored and used when it's you know needing to be lifted back up. A similar concept on the ERT, the electric ride-through, and really any sort of industrial process where uh, power failure would be problematic, right, to the process, ERT can be um, installed and, and kind of provide that ride through. And we think about, you know, in an industrial setting, it has to be applied in scenarios where power failure is problematic, but not catastrophic, because in catastrophic scenarios, power backups are already designed in, right? Right. Hospitals, um, things like correct, that. Correct. Right. But, uh, one of the early conversations we had was with a manufacturer that had like a heat treating process, and if power dipped, the product would be ruined because the the heat would turn off. That's the kind of thing where it's problematic but not catastrophic, and that's where you know ERT could possibly be a fit. So I got a question for you when it comes to you know you mentioned ESG a few times. You've given us some pretty good examples of yeah. how you're beyond the buzzword of ESG. You guys are actually out there doing it, which is fantastic because then we don't have to hold your feet to the fire for all the buzzwords you just said so and you help people check the box yes right so how is it out in the marketplace um are you getting good response are you getting good response and no business are you getting no we don't want anything to do with this we've gotten all the above so i'm curious what you've gotten yeah i'll touch on a few points and then uh you know have aaron chime in a bit so Sure, let him get his hand slapped. I get it. Yep, throw him under the bus. Aaron, the difficult questions. Picked up on that perfectly. Uh, Hey, Aaron, you see that bus over there? Go under it. So I would would touch on, you know, our approach to the market was, one, rooted in being uh, kind of operators ourselves, that we wanted the product to be in the field and proven and to try to, you know, learn what we needed to working with operations folks. And uh, we were successful in that. And now we're going into talking to corporate groups that are in charge of ESG or in charge of power management. And um, that's where we started to have the, the successful conversations that will continue to allow us to grow. Because now we've said, hey, we've proven ourselves in one of your fields. How do we think about getting this across your entire portfolio? And ESG matters across the whole portfolio. And so, um, 2020 was an interesting year to have the right conversations, right? We think moved to virtual in a very fast way. And, um, you know, we, we see now that we're able to get kind of more of the meetings that, that we're hoping to. But um, I think we are well positioned to continue to grow uh, and have our products be a very tangible example of how you can improve your ESG outcomes. 
and the great thing is these are not products that require um, a kind of rein reinvent the world mindset. These are tangible, uh, bite-sized products that can be installed in your well site immediately and start to see a benefit. Um, and, and I think that's something ESG groups are looking for. How do we take the small steps to show wins in addition to the longer term projects that will show a change over time? Yeah. Aaron, what would you add to that? So to emphasize your point, 2020 was obviously a difficult year with uh, the, the, the situation that's presented itself over the last 12 months, but we were still able to engage with our customer base on the various platforms that were released at the start of this pandemic, Zoom, Teams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's no uh, substitute for in-person meetings, which shows like this are excellent for providing uh, actually refreshing to be meeting people face to face now. Uh, but to touch on Eric's point as well with regard to ESG, we're starting to get a better understanding of where our product fits into the ESG narrative. Um, and through research um, and talking with our customers and various other industry peers, uh, we're getting a better idea of how to present uh, our you know, savings uh, from the OSS perspective and maybe some ERT uh, points as well. But OSS is definitely right in line with the ESG narrative. Um, we recently completed a, a data capture initiative with one of the majors in North Dakota in the back end uh, and we saved on an annual basis 254 metric tons of CO2 from entering the atmosphere. Now, that was on one six well pad, but you apply that at scale and the numbers start to become a lot more interesting. That's the equivalent of around 650,000 miles driven, or I think it's charging 30 million cell phones. So it's it's quite impressive. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. What um, do you have any customers in California? Uh, California is uh, a market that is very attractive to us. It's it's one that we're actively pursuing. Um, the the current state, uh, I guess, conditions there are that it's not one that we can uh, readily travel in because. Uh, Per my previous point, it's easier to get those face-to-face -face meetings, uh, look somebody in the eye and talk through um, the Power Century product. So uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Kevin Downey, he is actively pursuing the California market and we have done some uh, research on where we could best apply the OSS product and we're starting to pursue those companies. Yeah, because I mean, how do you feel about brownouts and blackouts? So, you know? Yeah. <laughs> to your point, I mean, all I mean, because this is California, yeah. right, with the regulations, and they say you're a company that uses a lot of energy, mm -hmm. and so you're you're one of our targets. So when the grid gets to a certain level, yep. because you're on our list, you're either going to shut down your operations, yep. or we're going to charge you an exponential amount of money per kilowatt to continue functioning. Exactly. But I feel like if you guys came in with a backup. So the, the beauty actually is the OSS is going to be more applicable there. So the OSS shaves peak demand and saves on kilowatt hours. So if we're able to reduce peak demand and that Up reduces the stre uh, stress on the utility company, especially if when you apply that scale again, uh, shaving that peak demand over several thousand wells isn't going to be quite as much onus on the utility and thus hopefully extending power and eliminating outages. Yeah, you gave an example earlier of a success that you had with a customer in terms of reductions, but t tell me about a, a couple of other instances maybe where you saved a company from a disaster. So with the ERT, um, to, to, to put a, a kind of emphasis on Eric's point, we released that mid last year. So we uh, started with a pilot phase with several companies in North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and West Texas. 
Um, and that was really just a, a kind of proof of concept and data gathering exercise for us and our customer. Um, we've seen several dozen events where historically that would have shut the VSD down uh, and you know put the, the ESP into backwind and then stop production. Um, we literally probably have between 30 and 40 of those events where the well instrumented with the ERT has maintained production, it stayed online, it's kept going and everything else in the uh, surrounding area is shut down. So there was one instance in West Texas in September last year where there were 12 additional wells surrounding the one uh, and that accounted for around $60,000 in deferred production. That in addition to the stress put on the, the hardware with having to restart these pumps down hole, etc. In places like North Dakota, where there's a lot of sediment in the well, uh, I've had reports from uh, one of the main uh, operators up here that trying to restart that pump is trying to like trying to restart with cement built on top of it. So if we're able to eliminate those you know, uh, shutdowns, we can uh, reduce the stress on the equipment as well. So yeah, there, there's been lots of events, but th that one in West Texas was most notable because it was there was a lot of emphasis put on the surrounding area. Yeah, as a as a procurement person, I like to say that I quickly pay for myself. And it sounds like there are moments where you guys pay for yourself and put money back in your customers' sure. pockets. And, right? and one of the, uh, something that we've adopted uh, of late is that we build up the economics for the ERT and the OSS when we are first approaching our customers um, so that we, present the value proposition and that we present the savings that we're going to deliver um, and yeah we, we, we in some cases are going to pay for ourselves in six months in some cases it's going to extend a little bit beyond that but we're looking to fall below 24 months and in line with our customers expectations yeah is your equipment something that you see as a long-term placement for sure yeah so the life of our ultra capacitors is around 20 years uh, so it's going to probably outlive me. <laughs> well, you're not that old. Jeepers. But I, I will say that's quite an accent you have there. Are you from Dallas? Uh, I'm from East, East Texas. Canada. <laughs> Sounds Canadian. You uh, I'll, I'll give you one guess. Alberta. Okay, yeah, good one there. <laughs> it's better than Australian and South African that I had yesterday, but uh, I'm oh, from wow. Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, I, which I, is the best part of the United Kingdom for the listeners that don't understand. <laughs> I guessed uh, Australia yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I was wrong. Oh, I was no. Wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. And I heard I heard the Seamus in him right away. The professional wrestler, fella. I heard it at him. Do you guys say, is that a word, fella? Yeah. That, is that it's, an, more, it's more English. It's more English, yeah. not Scottish? No. Okay. All right. I wondered how much of his WWE persona was actually... So, there, there's that... Do, do you know Seamus? Do you I know do. I, not personally. But no, you know, know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. The redhead um, WWE yeah, yeah. Very, former very champion. Pale. Yeah. Similar to... Very pale. Never seen the sun <laughs> in his life. <laughs> um, but there's, there is actually a, a Scottish wrestler in, in the WWE that's, you know... He went over from Glasgow years ago and he's wrestled now for well over... I can't remember his name. Finn Balor. Another one. I can't remember his name. Oh. It's not Finn. It's, it's not Finn. One. Okay. No. Finn's been wrestling since he was like four. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. We, we, we've Ken Shamrock. Oh, wait. That's <laughs> Irish. Welcome to the professional wrestling portion of the Crude Life Do you want Morning Show. That? Play hard, work hard. Eric Calderon, are you related to Yvonne Calderon? We might as well just get all the craziness out there. I mean, you're not even from the same country. So, okay. I think he was a Montreal Expo. 
Because yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, good stuff. People are like, "Who's Yvonne Calderon?" <laughs> all right, he's a baseball player from the '80s, folks. All right, who are the Montreal Expos? <laughs> what is a Montreal Expo? I I am dating myself way too much here, folks. Okay, Scotland over to the U.S. How did that happen? Uh, I moved over in 2014 with okay. a company called Expo. Um, they're an oilfield services company. Um, my wife and I moved over just shortly after we were married. We got our green cards, and hopefully this year we'll become American citizens. Interesting green card now. That's an interesting word I'm finding out now. I can't wait to see the origin of where that comes from. Uh, anyway, so ESG over in Europe has been going on for a while. It has, yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the differences and the similarities that you see between American ESG, the way it's happening, and either the way... European ESG started or how it's been rolling, I guess. Yeah. Just talk about that a no, little. That's, that's a good question. It, and in all honesty, it, it's kind of ingrained in everybody and their operation and the way they conducted themselves in Europe. And it, it's been like that for a long time, especially when you get into the grassroots of a company, it's kind of continually uh, emphasized the, the ESG impact that you're going to have from an individual perspective and from a company perspective. I see more emphasis um, on ESG stateside um, with you know keeping up with my peers and my friends etc back home they're not having quite as much of an emphasis on ESG as the US are yeah I think companies have always strived towards environmental compliance and things like that but now ESG is a new term- yeah. terminology and the, th- the thing right, is as well so. I mean especially the oil and gas industry in Scotland which is our our, our main industry, it's out of sight, out of mind, because everything's offshore. So there's very little drilling activity on land in the UK. So, yeah. And when you do drill on land in the UK, it's very, very well hidden. So they will actively write into contracts that you need to, you know, plant Camouflage trees. Yes. You need to paint the... Disneyland, yeah, the Disneyland basic, effect. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you're not allowed to flare, you know, all those kind of things. So, and then you come West Texas or North Dakota and you can see a, a pump jack every couple of miles. That's very much in the, the public eye. You're describing what I've been predicting. Mm-hmm. America is going to go the way of NIMBY, not in my backyard. <laughs> you know, so very, very, you know, people will be able to continue on with operations because let's be honest. If 95 percent, 94 to 96, so 95 percent of our daily life involves fossil fuels, mm-hmm. from the toothbrush to the toothpaste to how it got in my bathroom, right? To go down to 80 percent which would be a 15% reduction in my lifetime, it ain't going to happen. Drastic innovation and changes will have to be made for that to happen. I'm just thinking of PVC pipe. I'm just thinking of, you know, vaccine needles, the whole deal, okay? So what I'm wondering is how much of this is going to be like in Los Angeles, where they build a building yep. around the pump jack, yeah. so that it's a school. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> Europe's been doing that for a long time, yeah. and that's exactly my prediction of what's going to happen in in um, in America, in Colorado. I believe is the blueprint mm-hmm. of how they're going to roll it out to the tune to where that governor. Jared Polis wrote a book called the Colorado Blueprint. I haven't read it yet, but I assume it's probably. Wait a minute. I know what it is. I haven't read it. I saw the title. I'm, I'm qualified to talk on it. I better hand the mic back over yeah. to Eric. <laughs> Eric's turn to get thrown under the bus now. <laughs> so, Please think of a really difficult question to ask Eric. All right, Eric. Hey, actually, Eric, um, 
in all honesty, uh, this whole climate movement, whether it's the climate activism or the climate tax or the just climate change, do, are you guys, do you guys go anywhere with that? Do you avoid it? For example, the crude life. We came out with our first policy ever against climate tax. We believe it's a regressive tax that goes on uh, uh, poor and middle class, and eventually it'll make its way up to the rich and the upper middle class, but they're not going to feel it for a long time. So we came out with a statement right away on that. Um, the other thing that we have talked about is how the innovation side of things and the ESG. And so we've made a few statements on things. We tiptoed around some things too. Have you guys discussed, the, oh, the, the other one, climate change. I've been following this since 2004, 2001. I believe in earth changes, not climate change, okay? The climate changes every day. Earth changes are drastic. Go back to Pangea, when all the continents were together. We didn't frack back then, but now we're far apart. So that's a difficult conversation to have with anybody outside of oil and gas. So it's very difficult. It's very, I don't do it, right? Do, do you guys... What do you say when people start getting into that polarizing, um, nobody's going to win conversation? That's, I don't know how else to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things I've always emphasized is that you know, we live in this world together, right? So when folks think about you know, the oil and gas industry is hurting the environment, well, it's our environment, right? The people who live and work in Midland drink the water of Midland. They breathe the air of Midland. And so... All of us are in the same, you know, kind of interest in wanting to make sure that we are doing our part for for our, you know, future. That said, our company is going to play to its strength. Our company's strength is to be innovative and to come up with products that are solving problems that need to be solved. And in our case, that problem that we're solving is reducing power consumption. That is going to save operators money which is important, but it's also going to save the amount of CO2 going into our environment, which is important. And so um, I think every company has to look at the, the lever they have to make a difference in this discussion. And for us, it's through innovative products um, that we can uh, build reliably and build at, at a high quality uh, spec to ensure they do exactly what they're designed for. Well, how can we get some business for you guys? Yeah, great. Let's, let's talk about how people can get in touch with you, how people can contact you, and how they can start the conversation. Well, thank you for prompting that. So um, Power Century is our company. Uh, we can go to our website, uh, Power Century. That's Where did the Power, name Power Century come from? I'll elaborate. Uh, PowerCentury.com. So Century, in this case, spelt with an F, uh, designed uh, kind of after the insurance term to mean certainty, um, assurance, right? So think about Century as uh, being bolted onto the word power to mean power certainty, power assurance, that's what we mean. And um, that's what we do. We provide folks with uh, more stable power and better power management. Uh, we are located in Houston, Texas, and so we know that that's an important um, market, and we welcome the chance to uh, either connect by website or by LinkedIn, and um, just look for us online. Well, feel free to lean on the crude life if you ever need anything. We'll, we're here to serve and help the masses, so, you know, everyday energy for everyday people. Thank you for what you do to connect our industry. Mm. Thanks, guys. Thank you.